Starship Troopers reference for you there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm doing my part. You know, uh, I saw somebody on my timeline that said they, they're watching it for the first time and uh, reminded me that, uh, you know, there are some movies that I enjoy that I want to revisit, and that's definitely one of them, man. That's a classic. Well, oh, I have yeah. never watched it because I'm not fascist like you two. Oh, you're not. You're not. Oh, <laughs> oh you, you know what you're like, man? You're like, uh, you're like the person online who said that Robocop was a uh, copaganda. Um, um, yes, yeah, Starship Troopers Jorge oh is a I also have fascist not propaganda and not at all a, uh, a satire. I have not watched Robocop because I am not polluted with America Qatar's <laughs> police state in my thoughts. You have to put the, yo, that's like where we were on the trade. Remember where we were on the trade, Jorge, when I came to New York and we saw the graffiti, America Qatar? Yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty tight. Yeah, you, you. You left New York five years ago. Now it's a Mao's stronghold. <laughs> yeah, now it's a Mao's stronghold with a subversive uh, graffiti written on the uh, written in the CD train stations. Yes, everyone listening needs to understand the very important reality of the true proletarian ideology of Mao's third world. <laughs> on a subway, scrolled onto a subway uh, platform or car. I assume that means you too are recording on your end, Jorge, because you wouldn't yes. have said yeah, that. Yeah, you're not recording, Jamie? If you weren't. Uh, yeah, no, oh, okay, I am. Okay, okay, yeah, we're recording. I said yeah, I was. Recording. I just never no, we're all got recording. confirmation yeah. from Jorge because he's talking about uh, <laughs> well, Jorge went into the, Paul Verhoeven movies. Jorge went into the recording voice, Jamie. You, Jamie, you're a veteran, man. You know what the recording voice is, voice is like. Yeah, I mean, look, mine is pretty similar to my regular Yo, it voice. is, dog. When I met you, I was like, oh, this sound, Jamie sounds like how I thought she would sound. That's a compliment. I mean, compliment. thank you. Look, for a while there, I was trying to do like an NPR voice yeah. whenever I did a podcast because I just want to sound good. And I would listen to myself and be like, ew, I, I sound like yeah. that. That's horrible. It's fucking horrible. But uh it's just too much work to remember, man. Everybody loves communism is supported by listeners just like you. <laughs> that was pretty good, Jorge. Everybody like, loves communism. Like I was, uh, <laughs> no, like, you know who to go to for communist NPR voice is Daniel Denver. Daniel Denver. Yep, Daniel Denver, he friend of the show. He sounds like Ira Glass. He does sound like Ira Glass. Yeah. He has very pleasant. He's, you know who else does? Uh, our friends, uh, friends of the show that, uh, so uh, background y'all for audience, uh, cause you might hear tidbits and not know. I went, not know the context, but I, Went back to my hometown of New York. As Jorge said, it's been like five or six years. And a point I'm making is that I met Matt Sitman and Sam Adler-Bell, who we recorded an episode with. And uh, I love their voices, man. It's like, it's very syrupy, you know? It just kind of eases you in in like a like a nice, I don't know, like lambskin sheer blanket, I guess, you know? Sherpa. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's that's high praise. <laughs> it is high praise. I'm giving the very high praise. I think some people are just blessed with a radio voice. Like when I used to do the Antifada, Sean would I whenever I would get like shrill or mm -hmm. whatever, uh, sexist much, Sean <laughs> would like motion to me like, remember your NPR remember your voice, in, remember Jamie. Remember your inside voice, Jamie. 
And I was like, all right, whatever. Uh, I, I give up. But like, no, like, that's funny because I was listening to, I was listening back. I don't usually listen back to our episodes. Uh, I don't know if you guys do, but I don't. But I was listening back to the last Colentai episode mm-hmm. because I kind of bottom lined that one and I wanted to see how I did and how we all did. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my observations from that episode were like, one, it was pretty good. And two, I still hate my voice after all these well, years. Listen. But my solution to that is just never to listen to it and to thank everybody for listening to me. Yeah. Why would you listen to an episode if you were there? Wait, what would you say, Jorge? Say that again. I don't hear you. Why would you listen to something, it, to an episode that you recorded? You were there. No, you no, because there. I know exactly what she's saying. Because when I first started recording, and even with this podcast too, I, uh, I mean, I get what you're saying too, Jorge, but I, sometimes I would have to listen back like, yo, how did I fuck up? But then also, Jamie, I like done been doing this for like, and I hate my voice too. So I just like, don't, I want to save myself the self-embarrassment. So I just, I hate my voice, man. I still hate my voice. Yeah. Well, you can be comforted by the fact that almost everyone hates their voice, even Daniel Denver, probably. Yeah, that's true. So, not you me. know, we're all we're all united. Everyone hates their voice, except for Jorge's like, not me, fine. motherfucker. I love my not, voice. Not <laughs> I love myself. <laughs> I love myself. Oh shit. We can all we can all yeah, take yeah. a page from positive Jorge's psychology. Book. Yo. But yeah. Wait, can I say something real quick? Because I didn't want to say something about coming to New York. Like, I know I've made this observation before. I've probably said it on Twitter. And I was amazed, Jorge. You know, I said this to y'all. Man, five years ago, when I was like six years ago when I was there, you know, like weed wasn't, everybody was smoking weed, sure. People were smoking outside. But, you know, there was some, there was a little bit of like carefulness to it and mindfulness to it, you know, because it wasn't legal, right? Um, decriminalized, but wasn't legal. This time I went, man, like, not only did the streets reek of pot and people were just smoking openly without abandon, with reckless abandon, or not even reckless, because like it's decriminalized. It's like that gray area where the state hasn't found out how to like, uh, I guess like, uh, like capitalize on distribution and production or whatever. So like, the bodegas are selling it, you know. Like Jorge, you yeah. took me to a bodega. Like y'all, you been Jamie, you told me too that allegedly. You, go ahead, what? I said allegedly. Alleg- alleg- allegedly. Alleg- <laughs> allegedly. <clears throat> allegedly. Um, yeah, this is not behind the paywall. I don't smoke weed, y'all. We're allowed to, <laughs> no, we're allowed to do it. You can smoke weed anywhere uh, where you're allowed to smoke a cigarette. Yes. In let New me York. be clear. I did not inhale. I, let me be clear. I did not inhale. He told me I could <laughs> oh buy Oh, my God. So there were the $5 first joints. Time, the first time that I bought weed at the store was on our way home from seeing Nope. And like Jorge doesn't smoke weed, so he was just watching me. Jorge, does, Jorge, hold on, don't, don't be slandering my man like that. Jorge takes blunts to the face, Jamie. Chill out. Nah, he doesn't smoke as much. I know what you mean. Not as much as me. I've never seen you do it. Oh, what? he smoked with you've me, Jamie. Same room. He smoked with you. <gasps> no, you smoked with Aaron, not <laughs> no. me. We've been in the same room. Didn't we what all, you didn't we all three Jamie? smoke together that night on your on your roof, Jamie? Oh. Or your barbecue? I don't know. Yeah, we definitely did. Well, the fact that you felt comfortable enough with us to smoke weed around us really makes me feel special because I know sometimes it gives you like a bad vibe. Yeah. Thank you, Jorge. Drugs are always a bad vibe. Don't do drug kids. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I was going to say, you know, we're sorry that we didn't release anything new. Uh, I guess it'll be next week by the time people hear this. So last week, we're sorry we didn't release anything new last week, but we have a good excuse. We were bonding IRL with each other and just like, you know, staying up late, talking about nerd shit 
getting grill pills on my roof yes. and it was fabulous. It was fabulous. And uh, thank you so I much. I think it will only make the podcast better. I mean, you know, I've known you guys for like, Corey, I've known you for a year now, Jamie, like two years now for two years. So it's like, uh, you know, in this today's world of uh, kind of networking, doing all this shit online, you don't really get the opportunity to like, like meet people that you're building a project with, you know, um, at the outset. So it was about time that we got to meet in a uh, meet in person and shoot the shit, man. I enjoyed it. Are you, you saying awesome. that we had very important networking uh, retreat and opportunity? Yeah, yeah, I made, I made it sound like it was a very, it was a very, yeah. So we're gonna be up in the uh, in the mountains uh, at our retreat. <laughs> <laughs> that will happen in October. Yes, happen. Don't yes, worry. yes, for my birthday in a couple of weeks. Hell yeah, allegedly, Alleg- allegedly, 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 at an undisclosed location, yes, yes. which we will record I do wanna, live I, together. Well, not live, but you know, hopefully. Maybe we'll do a stream. No, an know. in-person recording. But yeah, we could do a stream too. Yeah, yeah. I no. mean, we're. Th- I'm thinking of getting into the streaming game. Oh. I kind of miss mm. having people just witness my inane thoughts. Yeah. Now I just have to tell them to the cats. Yeah. yeah. And if people want that, make sure to vote with your dollars by going to our Patreon <laughs> at patreon.com. So Yo, yeah. you're so good at that, dog. You're so good at that, man. Good you're plug. like an assassin. Yeah. You're like a plug assassin. <laughs> you slipped you really slipped he it did, in there yeah no seriously um i'm thinking about plugs too because i have spent the last few days applying to jobs i don't want mm. so it would be really great if whatever job i don't want that ends up hiring me uh turns out to be temporary yes yes, yes. if uh if you if you know of a job uh in the new york metro area in brooklyn uh anywhere in new york hit jamie send us dms or online or, or, or actually preferably or online like a, or just like a scheme. I'm open to I'm open to schemes as well. You're open to uh schemes and uh schemes dastardly deeds. Are definitely huh? definitely better than jobs. Yeah, yeah. This is true. America was founded on schemes, Jamie, so you're absolutely right there. I know. I know. I just really need to like where like where's my fucking Protestant work ethic? Where's my plucky American spirit? I just want people to pay me to sit here and talk. Is that too much to no, ask? No, not at all. Not well, at all. Well, I mean, Aaron, kind of, we talked about this before. Settler colonialism is a scheme, so it makes sense that Jamie wants to be part <laughs> of it. This is true. This is true. Jamie is just harkening wow. back to her roots. No, I'm kidding, Jamie. We're kidding. We're kidding. We're kidding. Wow. <laughs> Zing. You know. <laughs> uh, we love you, Jamie. When my people came over from the shtetl. Yeah. yeah. I, it was. I guess it was a scheme to avoid getting murdered by Cossacks. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, there are I good mean, schemes, you know. Not all schemes are, like, bad, you know. Yeah. Harmful. Yeah, no. Yeah, like, good, I love a good scheme. Yeah. Anyway. Um, like, like socialism. Yeah. Socialism is a good scheme. For instance, socialism is a very good scheme uh, to get out of paying back our student loan debts, right. any other debts we may have racked up. Or forgiving uh, debt take care to of our win the retirement. midterms. Say mm-hmm. that again. Or forgiving debt to for the midterms is another scheme. Forgiving debt for what, the midterms? Yeah, forgiving student loan debt oh, for yeah. the midterm, yeah. just like oh, yeah. a certain president of the United States. That's a good. That's a good little transition. Yeah, we'll get. We'll, yeah, yeah um, we'll get into that. So obviously, the thing that everybody's talking about right now, and the purported topic of this episode is fucking dark Brandon, man. Hmm. Like whatever cocktail they had him on seemed to be working for a little while because. He didn't want to forgive anyone's student debt at all. And now all of a sudden, 
they're doing 10 to 20 K which like fucking all right, great. We'll take it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at first I want to say dark Brandon in quotes, because I think like, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the, the crime bill, Brandon, the debt, Brandon was always there, you know, whatever you're right, Jamie, was that whatever cocktail drugs they were giving him that, uh, that, uh, I don't know, but seriously, though, they fixed they fi- it. They now. fixed it now. So now he's back to being, you know, to being a good old Joe. But, uh, man, I'm not going to lie that most of the, I have student debt. Um, I went to Burve Manhattan Community College, uh, Georgia State Perimeter Community College down here in Atlanta. And, uh, my debt is, I'm pretty sure like 90% of it, most of it is through the federal government, through Pell Grants. So I'm one of the, I don't know, maybe about a third of people, maybe a little bit more than that, maybe like 40 million people to put a number on it that uh that this is going to benefit. So I'm not thanking Joe Biden, um, but I'll take it, you know. Yeah, I think we all uh, are sort of of that opinion. Like, it's obviously not enough. Mm-hmm. He could have done all of it, but he didn't. But it's cool that they did any. What do you think, Jorge? Well, I think the reason why, and he didn't say this, but the reason why Aaron didn't thank Joe Biden is because he's not a real Democrat. I'm not. I'm so not a real Democrat. Thank first. you, Jorge. Thank you for calling me out to all the fans. I'm not a real Democrat. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, you're not a real Democrat. Uh, I worked Shit. for them for ten years, and uh, you know, never, uh, never cut the mustard, man. It wasn't soulless He's enough. Not even a Democrat. Not even a Democrat, bro. <laughs> yeah, people are gonna throw that in your face when you run for hey, office. Yeah. Lol. Yeah. Yeah. But but on 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 a on a much more sincere note, I think it's very heartening that Joe Biden is practicing anti-imperialism practice by for making sure that the material basis for the uh, U.S. Empire soldiers are no is lessening because people are not going to the military to go to college. Yep. As oh, one, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about see, that. See, I'll, I'll, I'm right. happy you brought that up. To be clear, a lot of I'm joking. I'm no, joking no, no, no. about my position. No, Jorge, but let's, let's 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 be no seriously though. Uh, yeah, that is that is one of the fears, right? Jamie, go ahead. Let's get into it because that's one of the fears, right? Uh, that I guess conservatives had of uh the student debt forgiveness right that what an insane yeah so where did it go i okay so there was a tweet from uh this guy jim banks who is a republican congressman from indiana person essentially saying the quiet part out loud which is oh no this is gonna be so bad for army recruitment if they forgive people's student debts without them having to go in the army first. Just awesome. Just awesome they're just saying it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. To which I say, good. Uh, I did a little research, actually. You know, it was the first time for everything. <laughs> and apparently, this is the worst year for army recruitment since the end of the draft in 1973. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, let's have a, a little round of applause for the youth of today <laughs> not joining the army. Um, It says, according to the most recent Department of Defense youth poll, their top reasons for not wanting to enlist are fear of physical and psychological wounds, fear of sexual assault, and a growing dislike of the military. Those are all great reasons, man. Those are all great reasons. The third one is pretty based. It's like, I actually just don't like the military, so why would I want to Yeah, I don't want to die. I don't want to be sexually assaulted. And like, also, fuck them, you know? 
Fuck the truth yeah. is what they I say. mean, okay, so this quote comes from uh, Mike Preiser, Mike Preisner, who does a really cool podcast called uh, Eyes Left with our friend Spencer Rapone. I, I went and I looked at the little chart that this data came from. And growing dislike of the military isn't exactly what they asked mm-hmm. about. They didn't put that on there. Uh, nor did they put opposition to U.S. empire on the list of reasons why people aren't joining. I guess that was a bridge too far. But dislike of the army lifestyle is on there. So maybe that's so like uh, a dislike of close a, enough. Who some knows? kind of vague dislike of authority, I guess. I mean, it sucks. Yeah, it yeah, sucks yeah, it being sucks, in the yeah. army. Like it, it's a whack like lifestyle. I, you have to move around and you don't like too many places and you don't have anything. Yeah, it's like being grounded for like, you know, however much time you're spending in the military. You know, four years, you can't, you can't opt people, out either. I mean, they don't tell you this, but most people who are in the army do not like yeah, it. Yeah. No. <laughs> They're like wicked unhappy. Their recruiters fucking lie to them. Yeah. I mean, the top reasons people do join is, you know, they need money and they need an education mm-hmm. and they don't want to go into horrible amounts of debt for it. But um, I actually just watched this really heartbreaking TikTok that went somewhat viral of uh this army guy made it and he asked a whole bunch of people there's like fucking 20 guys in a row probably or he's like yeah 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 yeah. if you could say anything to your recruiter right now what would you say and they were all like fuck you fuck you fuck you you lied to me fuck you oh yeah and it broke my heart i mean on one level i guess it's good to know that the troops have that kind of uh consciousness Mm. And, you know, they don't, like, believe in what they're doing and they hate it. On the other hand, like, you know, my heart just fucking breaks for all these guys who, like, look, they were fucking... You think you think it's a big decision to take on student loan debt before you're 18 years old or, like, right when you're about to graduate from high school. How about joining the fucking army yeah. and signing potentially your life away, signing up for, you know, all the things that they listed as factors why they don't want to do it um, in can, exchange for, you know, a, uh, maybe not having to go into debt for your college education. You can join the military. You can become a asset for the state, become a weapon for U.S. empire. You can die for Wall Street and Raytheon and Lockheed Martin before... Years before, you can drink alcohol legally. Absolutely, and then and then when you what an insane concept. And then when you come back, right? You know, like that's all. You know, that's all like horrific already and stressful. I mean, to be honest, stressful. I mean, that's just like putting. It's like in a situation where a lot of people that don't have a lot of opportunities, like, and as you said, Jamie, they don't want to take the debt on of going to school, right? So it's kind of the back against the wall. But then when you come out, right? Um, you're not even given the like, you know, like resources that you need, right? Like we're talking about like the VA, right? If you have PTSD or you have other issues, right? So, I mean, it's just like integrating back into society. So, I mean, it's it's really like a meat grinder, man. It really is. Yeah. So, you know, hats off to Dark Brandon for maybe momentarily uh, helping us with this uh, economic draft that's been going on in this country and pissing off all of these uh, congressmen who take tons and tons of money from the military industrial complex, mm-hmm. obviously, such as uh, the guy I just referenced, Mr. Jim Banks, mm-hmm. such as Cole Lyle, a former advisor to Senator Richard Burr, Republican, North Carolina, and executive director of Mission Roll Call, a veterans advocacy group. Um, 
I don't know what kind of advocacy they really do for veterans because he sounds like a jerk. Um, he wrote an op-ed for Fox News in May calling student debt forgiveness, quote, a slap in the face to veterans because service members and veterans were purportedly more deserving of debt relief than the average civilian. Well, doesn't the, gov- doesn't, now, doesn't, the, doesn't the fucking government pay for them to go to school, yo? You know what I mean? They doesn't pay for all that well, shit? Well, sometimes. Sometimes, okay, sometimes. sometimes. It like there's a lot of asterisks like there's, there are there's a limit. fucking everything. Mm-hmm. But but I will say, like, I understand that it is probably kind of a bummer for all the people who signed up for the army thinking that was their only option to not go into massive amounts of debt and then maybe even got maimed, killed, traumatized, fucked up to see, oh, wow, um, maybe I should have just uh, taken on that debt and uh I wouldn't have had to do all this shit. But like, I don't know. If I were them, I would be happy that maybe no one else has to suffer the same thing in the future. Like, it's not like we can go back in time and uh, change what happened. Um, also, this this is like a one-time debt forgiveness. So it might not necessarily help future generations. But maybe it's... I think a lot of people are seeing it as a stepping stone, you know? Like, a raising of expectations to better things. Yeah, and I think... Something before the movie outcome saying I I before saying well there's why there this is un, this is unacceptable this is not enough first of all we no one disagrees here we all agree certainly not enough all of it every penny should be forgiven in fact I would even go as far to say that there is an argument about paying people back but that's not even on the conversation right now paying people back of like who had already paid their student debt. But, yeah, but again, that's not even on in the same conversation. We have to focus one thing at a time. But yeah, I think we do have to mention you know, what Jamie was saying. It's like it is a great first step in the sense, in the sense that while ten thousand to twenty thousand for some of you who have really large amount of student debt, that actually like this policy, this forgiveness would forgive one third of all student debt that exists in this country. Yeah, yeah. And, which is insane good. and i want to mention too like you know like uh uh you know jamie you were talking about um you know veterans that didn't go to school because they didn't want to get debt maybe feeling kind of sour you know about this debt forgiveness and um i would say that like you know people that are trying to say that well um i took out debt right i went to school and took out debt and now there's this forgiveness right um and i already paid my debt back right you're talking about like older folks right um i mean i think the best analogy is sort of like when you talk about vaccines, right, like the polio vaccine, right, like you can't say that like my gr- grandmother died from polio before there was a vaccine, you know, and my mother did and like I'm mad now, you know, like I think people like generally expect that things are going to get better, some vague notion of getting better, you know, and that with like social advancements and whatnot that like there are going to be people now that are benefiting from this where they didn't. And I think the only people that are trying to create this dichotomy and put this wedge between people are uh, people that don't have to worry about this at all. Like it won't affect them because they're in the top bracket where I mean, or their debt got paid for, you know, these are people that this won't affect and they're just trying to like, you know, put barbs between people. So, I mean, that's like a shitty argument, you know, I will say, I will say um, some of these feelings are probably the result of people maybe not trusting uh, the Democrats mm. to do anything else, <laughs> you know, like when you say, what makes oh, you say that? Jamie? Well, 
<laughs> like, oh, well, you know, we also got to do universal free college. We also got to do Medicare for all. We also got to do all these other things that are going to help people who both did and did not take on debt to go to college. Um, you know, it's well within people's rights to be like, mm, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. I will say, and I hate for saying this, but it's really, really funny when you think about it. The, stu- the way they're doing student loan debt forgiveness is you have, like in a few, few weeks, you have to fill out a form, right? Fill out a form, and then they'll kind of like figure out if you are eligible or not, which is, you know, fine. You got to test the means. But what's funny is... You can't, you can't let those means go untested. <laughs> what are you so, talking so, about? So, crazy? So it's mean testing, yes. But also what's funny is that this is literally student loan debt forgiveness for those who want it. What do you mean yeah. by that? You have to apply. Yeah, well, yeah, there's going yeah, to be an... Um, I, well, I, I looked like that up. I saw that yeah, an, an application all, will be rolling out it. in a couple of weeks. But I also saw like they're trying to like maybe mess around with some of it being automatic, you know? So I mean like... I don't know. I like that. Would be nice. I mean, I signed up for a newsletter, you know, like a debt forgiveness newsletter from the White House so that I know when to do it. But like also, too, I think that the best way to do away with all this like bullshit, like whether it's like and I, I really, truly believe it's mostly like pundits. Right. That are not affected by this at all. And because they have certain special interests that they're advocating for. Right. They're going to try to say, oh, this is a bad thing. I think that I've never met anybody on the street that said this is a bad thing, you know. Like people that pay debt, right? They're most, like you said, Jamie, they're like, oh no, that's sweet. But I think the best way to do away with all this tension is to just make it universal, man. Because then people, like, Any people pundit? can't pick out targets and complete, you know what I'm saying? Like compete against one another, yeah, right? Of course. Yeah, for grievances. Any I pundit? mean, this is oh. like the devil's advocate question, right? Like, oh, why do you care if they means test it so that people making more than $125,000 a year can't get it? What do you care if those people get it or not? But like, the thing that that's actually doing is making it harder for people who really need it because it's not just debt forgiveness for all who want it. It's debt forgiveness for all who want it and can like jump through the fucking hoops and like fill out the forms and provide their tax records or whatever. Yeah. Like that's the more important thing. Also, like really rich people don't have debt. Also, what if you don't have... So, you just made me what think. a concept. What'd you say, Jorge? I thought, what a concept. You just, British people don't have debt. You, you just made me think, though. Well. <laughs> you just made me think, the whole of that. Like, what if, like, yo, if this is an application that you have to fill out online, what if you don't have a computer or internet access or, like, a phone, a reliable phone with, like, service that you can use to do it? Like, that's fucked up, you know? What if you're in jail? Huh? Like, straight up, what if you're in jail? Yeah, 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 right? Like, what if you're in jail, right? What if you're in jail and you come out and you've missed the window, Right. Of time that you can right. cancel it. Because actually, I, I saw that if you have debt, if you got debt um, uh, after June 22nd or something like that, 2022, like your debt won't be included in the cancellation or some shit like that, you know? So, Imagine I mean, they're already means testing it, you know what I mean? The day after? Oh, there have to be caveats. That's fucking insane, dude. You can't, you can't do it without caveats. That's Come insane, on, guys. Uh, I, but, I really like this, uh, this one tweet that I saw from this lady. It was such a good self-own whining about how the debt forgiveness is going to help quote unquote the fourth richest quintile the most i'm like oh you mean the second poorest oh my god 
like a, a quintile means you're dividing something up into five, right? So the fourth richest is the second poorest. And that is otherwise known as people making $27,000 to $52,000 a year. God, so mm. so fucking stupid, <laughs> man. Yeah. Any pundit that is against it on the ground that no, you should not forgive it. Like there are those very few who are saying, no, it's not enough. That's great. But those who are saying, no, they're against it for, for because like you don't want to. I have a few questions for you. One, where are you from? Like, where are you from specifically? Like you're all from New York city. Well, where, where in New York city, what neighborhood did you grow up? What does your dad do? What does your mom do? Do you own your house? Uh, these are important questions <laughs> that I want to know. It's like, what's your class background? <laughs> yeah. yeah no uh, also, to I've, go ahead, Jamie. Sorry. No, no, I'm not going to say uh, it. I, I wanted to say, like, also to like, I'll add one onto that. Uh, onto that, Jorge. Uh, maybe it's a little bit unfair, but uh, I don't remember the the woman's name. But I saw a tweet where she was talking about. I know that. Um, I believe that. Um, we shouldn't. Biden shouldn't have forgiven the debt because I know that it can be done. Repaying it back can be done. And oh, she starts yeah. telling her oh, story. Yeah, and then you find great. out that, all right, so she wasn't a country worked at the economist. First of all, she said laboring at the, as the, at the economist, I guess it's like a, you know, a lower staff member there, whatever. But then she also says that, um, she got, wow, she, starting at the bottom here, are we <laughs> starting at the bottom and going at the top, right? But she said that her parents paid for her school, but then she took out a loan to go to business school. And then it's like, oh, wow. dog. So you're telling me that this is my caveat. If you go to business school, right? If you decide you want to go to business school to be an entrepreneur or some shit like that, and you take out debt, like, and eh, like, you know, maybe you should labor away at the uh, at the uh, in the offices of the Economist, or perhaps even worse, maybe. No, I'm kind of kidding. But also, too, like, that's just a ridiculous idea, right? I think about like trying to say that like people, I paid it back so other people can do it is just so incredibly selfish, man. It's so selfish. Yeah. Yo, you just made me think maybe I am in favor of means testing. <laughs> means testing but to not not in terms of how much money you have. Mm -hmm. What you degrees? Know? Because there are people who are just really highly paid workers mm. who I still like really enjoy and respect, mm -hmm. you know, like actors and athletes. They're fine. Yeah. But what if we did class testing instead? <laughs> you know? Like no debt forgiveness for bosses. So you mean a dictatorship of the proletariat, Jamie? Is that Dick Prol you're talking about, Jamie? Something. something <laughs> I mean, look, it's it would be a sort of a transitional measure. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah, say yeah, that yeah. right now. But unfortunately, we already did have debt forgiveness for bosses in the form of these uh, PPP loans. Yes. And uh, I wanted to talk about this because I think it's kind of funny um obviously fuck joe biden let's go brandon whatever but uh i like that he's being kind of sassy in interviews and i also enjoyed all the uh white house tweets these official white house tweets sort of owning these people like all the politicians who were tweeting like oh this is so bad like oh this you and it's about their fucking ppp loans yeah. that got forgiven and uh then okay uh, sorry to dive so deep into the discourse but i think this is funny. no it's great um a tweet there is a tweet from some someone who calls themselves political math which is just like the puke emoji automatically right there when I hear that handle saying, uh, 
quote, how dare you? Or I guess this is, I'm paraphrasing. It's not a direct quote, but they're basically like, how dare you? This is disgusting. Oh no, here's the quote. They said, I am trying to avoid the White House tweet because it is legitimately the most stomach turning thing I've seen in modern politics. Oh my God, God, I'm so scared. The White House is, I guess I'm doing the Meghan McCain voice for this person and I'm going to go with it. Uh, The White House is attacking people who chose to cooperate with government to keep their employees paid. And the entire left is dancing with glee over it. Boo, hoo, 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 hoo. Damn right. These these are wait, these are the motherfuckers who talk about civil war and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? Like in their friend in their group chats (laughs) and shit, and they're crying about the tweets. Fucking snowflakes. Right. They are the snowflakes, exactly. Yeah. So fact check also. Um BVP, while it does stand for Paycheck Protection Program, which was like, you know, I guess a rare bit of like good salesmanship on the part of the government. Uh only 35% of this money of these loans actually went to paying the workers. Uh, the rest, the bosses just like kept it because they wanted to and they could. So, uh, yeah, crocodile tears from this person as like as if they even actually believe the shit that they're saying. Can, can, but um, can, can I just say one thing about this person? You know, the thing they said immediately after the tweet you read it. from, they said... At least when Trump was a shit, most of the people on the right were like, stop being a shit or stop tweeting, you fucking idiot. No, they didn't. What the fuck? <laughs> that did not happen. Like, what, uh, what, what are you talking about? They loved it. Yeah, they loved it. They love it. Like, what? Like, I'm just, like, this person's just either lying or just, like, delusional. Like, there's just selective <laughs> memory. Like, that's kind of what he ran on is, like, being a huge piece of shit, yeah. right? To the right people, and they, you know, his supporters fucking ate that shit up. Yeah. But it, well, it, 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 it's, I mean, it's a, this entire situation, you know, to kind of be serious, like regarding like this, int- like some of the more recent rhetoric, although some of the most recent rhetoric, we, we'll get into it, but uh, some of it is just like telling, it's a sign of the times, really. It's like, it, as we mentioned before, Joe Biden did not want to forgive student debt. It was kind of, you know, hemming and hawing until the very end, but it does show that there is like some power on the progressive wing of the Democratic Party that they felt that he had to do. He had to. He felt somewhat forced to do it. Now, this doesn't mean that oh, like they're just going to usher in this kind of like, all right, we're going to have show trials and execute all the billionaires. <laughs> That's not what's going to happen. But what it does indicate is that there is. Very minor pressure, such that that he has felt that he also has had to kind of say, even like rhetorically, some more like you know things that have to do somewhat with the class and somewhat in favor toward the working class. But again, that's not necessarily mean that he's like having a huge like change of mind, or he's just going to just become like a socialist. Rather, just like you know, he feels he has to. Yeah, he feels he has to pander, yeah. which is... Yeah, well, let's talk about well, that. Because yeah. I, I do think part of it is, you know, he wants the Democrats to win the elections coming up. But um, I think I, I'm wondering how much of the credit should go to activists for sort of 
moving the Overton window on this issue, going back to Occupy Wall Street, really, um, when, you know, it was basically a pie in the sky thing. Like Bernie Sanders didn't even run on it. He ran on some like much weaker version of it. Um, And Ben Burgess wrote an article about this and he is sort of making a similar argument to what you're saying right now, Jorge, where like, you know, all it took was like activists to like give them an argument, you know, so to speak. And it went from this pie in the sky thing to suddenly something that they were feeling real pressure to do. Um, you know, he uses the example of how John Oliver mocked Jill Stein's idea for forgiving people's student loans back when she was uh, running for president. Just like just like a cheap shot at uh, what he viewed as cranks on the left, you know, and going from that to like this now with fucking Joe Biden doing it. Do we think that this is the result of people arguing for it and moving the Overton window, getting it into the popular conversation or is this more something more overdetermined yeah. by the needs of the national economy yeah. so can i can i just say I something wanna, real quick because yeah no so it. i would just want to say uh i think that like i think that it's like both you know i think that like definitely there has been like this kind of groundswell you know since like occupy and obviously bernie and whatnot with progressive policies overall but like redistributive politics especially you know and um i think that Definitely, I don't want to, like, discount the work of activists, like, pushing for this issue. But I also think that, like, this kind of reminds me of sort of, um, I feel like there's a sort of unrest, right, with, like, the ruling class and political class now. And I think that's been for the past, like, couple years with COVID and with the uprising two years ago. And, um, and even with Trump, right? I think that, like, you know, what's good for business is, like, you know, not sliding into some kind of overt fascism with some, or at least with some unpredictable individual like Trump in charge, or it's not having someone like Sanders in, right, that'll actually like, you know, inspire like a, a not just a labor movement, but like, you know, a larger transformative movement, possibly. Um, so I think like, with Yang's forward party, right, is like sort of this like mediation, right, right, to kind of like, make sure that business can run as usual. And I think Biden and the Democrats are sort of operating on the fact that like, we got to give them something, you know, also too the midterms are coming up. Right. So Jorge, I think you were mentioned that. So I think that's obviously like, well, we gave you something. But um, also, I think, too, it's like kind of he has to sort of do something right. Like he has to sort of do something to so that I guess it won't. I don't know. I, people won't get too upset. People won't get too, um, I don't know, too militant, I guess. I don't know what it is, but I don't know. Go ahead, Jorge. You want to say something, too. So I guess. The only, the only, I, I have an issue with, I guess, the characterization of what I was saying earlier, because um, I don't think, I don't think it's a argument. I, I completely disagree with that kind of a perspective. I think it's like, well, you mean that we have you to? Know, you mean that the left has to give an argument to Biden in order to, and he then they like did it, give an like argument. It's, 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 yeah. it's not that the that the leftists gave them an argument. No. And he saw all the data and he was like, oh, yeah, actually, this is a great <laughs> yeah. idea. Let's so, do it. So I think it's a factor, but it's not the factor. And in fact, I don't even think it's like the top three. And I think what, what I was more arguing about was it wasn't activism and awareness of the issue. It was organizing. Mm. And people who were organizing around us, people like Debt Collective, um, who... They organized people who had student debt and 
they made them either like have just flat out just stop paying their loans like we're talking about billions of dollars worth um but also organizing them to have specific pressure campaigns in terms of people who got defrauded for uh you know un, un- not credited education uh but also pressure campaigns in terms of uh finding loopholes in terms of in terms of way they can get out of being their student debt things like that but also making people who own debt debt holders aware of their position in the economy so mm. i think that's, that's one thing another thing thank too, you for clarifying um, no of course i uh i was a little confused that you might agree with ben burgess on something <laughs> <laughs> i i you know, and I think it's important to mention that it's like, well, how did this happen? It's like, well, it wasn't just because people were just saying things. I think that's just nonsense. I think it's more like it's be- there were a lot of work, a lot of uh, hard-nosed effort to try to get something like this for such that the president of the United States felt forced to do it. That this, in fact, it was more politically costly for him to not exactly, do this. Exactly. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's that too. It's like an element of the overdetermination aspect that people so many people who are young young being below 40 right it's like uh have student debt like so many of them like most people in the united states don't have student debt but many people almost the majority of people who um have student debt are below the like are below the age of 40 and then people below the age of 40 like similar demographic but then also um particularly people of color who have student debt are those typically are those who didn't finish college. Mm. And I think that's also particularly part of Biden's coalition. They got him elected, particularly people who are black. Mm. And that's one thing. But also is in terms of the organizing aspect, it's different from Occupy. Yes, Occupy was his first initial kind of like opening. But what's happened since then is people who either were inspired or those who were inspired put into office from on a state level on a local level and in a federal level i'm not arguing like say this mass you know wave of democratic social i'm not saying that I'm saying people who like even if they are just like these like milk milk toast like progressives genuinely as a policy believe in student debt forgiveness of some kind mm. and so over time it became more and more uh politically costly to politic if you're a democrat more and more costly politically to not support that and so there was a more in terms of more and more people were starting to support it so i think it's important to mention a lot of that so i think it's you know an element of organizing but also the overdetermination you know most people who have student debt are like i don't want this and they feel robbed Mm -hmm. because they most if you've gone to college hello most of the time you don't really get a job that can Make help you, that you can support for your to to maintain yourself and live by yourself. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, when we talk about overdetermination, I'm thinking primarily about the needs of the national economy, right? And right. I mean, they're kind of in a sticky situation, right? Because uh, on the one hand, it's good for capital for college to be somewhat inaccessible. Mm-hmm as we're going to talk about in Mm -hmm. some of these primary texts that we've uh, dug up and included in the outline. On the other hand, you know, when people have too much debt, uh, it stops them from spending money 
circulating money in the economy. It stops them from having kids. Like, I think this, the the birth rate has dropped. Like, uh, there's some statistic, like the most that it has uh, since they started recording it this year because Gen Z and millennials just aren't having kids and don't want to. Um, and obviously, that's bad for the economy if the population starts to shrink too much. So, yeah, I think... That's the, something they're the, really freaking about, freaking out about, the population decrease. Well, I think... Yeah. And I think the need, the needs of capital are sort of, you know, complex and contradictory. But I do think we're entering a new phase in which uh, they're going to try, you know, the people managing the system uh, to turn, you know, at least slightly away from neoliberalism and towards a more um, uh, heavily managed kind of intervention in the economy. I mean, ultimately, the Democrats, and I think we don't really talk about them in this way, but I think it's really important to mention that the Democratic Party in its current iteration um, is a class collaborationist formation. And while that seems obvious, it is kind of important to mention that they, they have, they're much more accountable to, a, to, their, to their base that's not the business owners than the Republican Party. Yeah. Yeah. Low bar, but yeah, I gotta I gotta think about that one for a second. Well, I mean, I'm talking about like now in a sense the past few years. This that was not the case, say even twenty sixteen at all. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Jamie, you were just making me think too, like uh like sort of the means testing, right? That it's you know, under hundred twenty five thousand, which is a lot, um, with um, just student, the student federal debt that they can do the Pell Grants and sort of like how for the moment determination, you need like money to be put back into the economy and to circulate. But at the same time, like as what we're about to talk about, you don't want to, you don't want a, you don't want a highly educated proletarian, you know, at the same time. So it's like, I'm wondering like, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, if they're in, like literally like in a room deciding, right? Like on like a spreadsheet, you know what I mean? how to decide and determine, okay, if we do a third of the people that hold debt, that'll put this much money back into the economy, you know? And this is the future speculation mm -hmm. that we can look on that. And when you think about it in that way, it's kind of terrifying, right? No, I think they do do that. Yeah, like maybe this is all they're going to do. Like, like we shouldn't look at it from the standpoint of they want people to get an education. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we should look at it from the standpoint right. of they want people to vote for them and they want people to start spending money and having kids again. But you know, maybe they'll only do it every once in a while just to keep people on their toes. <laughs> I mean, look, if, if, if that's, if this is what happens, I think it's an important element that maybe people should weaponize that more. Yeah, yeah. That's, weapon I, yeah, like I, I want me to vote for you, forgive more debt. Well, know. yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, Jorge. I think like, you know, when we talk about like war of position and war of maneuver, right, it's about kind of like seizing on these contradictions, right, on these little tensions, on these fissures and these cracks and kind of like bursting them open, right? And I think like if this is something where we're going to go into like every few years, there's some redistributive, um, you know, state, um, you know, legislation or whatever like that, you know. That we can say, well, why doesn't this happen all the time? I mean, I think COVID is a good example of that, right? I think when people were getting relief right. during COVID and people were also like looking at the contradictions, the fact that they were being told to go back to work 
you know, while the ruling class was making more money than they ever have before. I think that that led to a lot of the unionization that we saw, you know, that led to a lot of like cries again for debt forgiveness. So, I mean, that's kind of our job, right? It's like, as the Democrats are kind of floundering around and trying to have, how to keep this together, right? To point out and be like, yeah, they don't got that shit, man. They, they don't got that shit. Right. And also, I think it's important to mention that during the pan- during the height of the pandemic, during lockdown and quarantine, everyone became a Marxist. <laughs> <laughs> everyone became, yeah. because immediately, everyone became a Marxist. It's just totally, all right, no bullshit. Everyone who's not an essential mm-hmm. worker, stay the fuck home. If you're an essential worker, you have to keep yeah. going. It's like, you ba- yeah. like, like you revealed the veneer of like of like all right there are this core element of people who we if you do not keep working society falls apart and and, and who, are you, who who I almost forgot about that phase of the pandemic and, that was like in between the the bread making phase yeah. and the uh, the Black Lives Matter yeah. phase right? right everyone became a Marxist and, and those people became like those industries became the most unionized right or we've seen the most labor action right like the people that were called essential uh, workers and then like six three to six months later all of a sudden they're being told that they have to go back to work right but al- yeah. also an important element too is a. Uh, uh, if you mention the, like these things cannot be recalled, people now are aware of the existence of essential workers and non-essential mm-hmm. workers, right? It's like, and it's it, it, truly in this sense, once again, capitalism create plants the seeds of its own destruction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it really does, man. I mean, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's what the. I mean, we should probably get to it, right? We should get to the Powell Memorandum because, um, I think that's the danger of like, um of a of of the peace right is that if we if we give them too much right <laughs> if we give them too much right then uh this will be our undoing so uh thank you yeah mm-hmm. this was a good piece man i've never i'd never i thought i'd heard of this before but i might have been confusing it with something like the business plot but um yeah yeah i i had never read it before either and uh i quite enjoyed it as a primary text of uh you know, saying the quiet parts out loud. You want to talk about a scheme. This was the blueprint in many ways for the neoliberal shift and the disciplining, the crackdown on the workforce that occurred uh, over the course of the 70s to, you know, finally its ultimate expression is Reaganism in the 80s. So we're talking about a thing called the Powell Memorandum from 1971 that uh, Jorge helpfully sent around. You want to uh, explain it a little bit? Yeah, of course. So, as you mentioned, Jamie, th- so this this memorandum was a basically a letter written by Lewis Powell Jr., who was a lawyer at this time, and he had been a lawyer for uh, <laughs> for the tobacco lobby. Um, oh man, and that makes a lot of sense but, now. And, <laughs> But but he was but yeah he was a corporate lawyer but um, he wrote this in 1971 you know very important year in the sense that it's following in the you know very much still in the wake it's very much in people's minds of like you know the, the 60s particularly 1968 in terms of the the high high watermark of uh, American radicalism mm. but also labor labor activism um, until that time and also happening all over the world. And, you know, at this time, the president was Richard Nixon, which is partially was elected as a reaction to that of like anti-communism, tough on crime, anti-radical. Pro-war. Pro-war. So, um, but it's important to mention that 
He wrote this memorandum in 1971, and he sent it to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce for, you know, and to, be, to those who don't know, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is not a branch of the government. It is a business lobby. It's, a, it's, an or, it's an organization kind of like basically a business union, like not in like the, <laughs> the way that people talk about business union, but rather it's, it's like a union of business yeah, leaders. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a less, less special interest group, right? Yeah. Right. But it's like the original What if we did a group. union, but for capitalists? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. Right. I mean, like, I, uh, and I think talking about people, talking about like, you know, something like this, but also particularly Chamber of Commerce is like, well, I, you can even ex- get people who are not particularly like self-identify as like Marxist or whatever to explain, understand, no, the people who own stuff themselves organize you, regardless of what you may think of like, liberals or like socialist or communist or anarchist whatever you as a worker should organize because they're 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 they, your interest needs to be keep in, yeah. keep in mind so just on those grounds alone but you know that's, that's and some a, of these people might even accept like marxist analysis they're just on the side of the capitalists right and we'll get into it in a second but basically uh 1971 he wrote this to the u.s chamber of commerce 1972 he became associate justice of the supreme court of the united states which is a uh, Little on the nose in the sense of uh so what did he write in this in this memorandum? Well, he wrote about a lot of things, but particularly he was expo- he was saying it was in many ways I would describe it as a what is to be done for for the ruling he, class of America. He literally can I just say he literally like he almost uses that phrasing when he jumps to a next section. So what exactly is to be yeah. done about this? And it gave me chills, like not good chills, bad chills. Yeah, no, I mean like they basically starts off straight up saying like in, in the in the memorandum or it starts off with saying something along the lines of and is a quote no thoughtful person can question that the american economic system is under broad attack and he has like this asterisk where he kind of is like this finds american economic system he means the free enterprise capitalist system he's saying very plainly that what's at risk here is our our being us capitalist and people on the on the on of the elite our way of life is that threat? Yeah, we are, and you know, but but oh, now no. they're gonna take all my dad's vacation homes, <laughs> and then I won't have a pool to swim in, and I'm just really scared. JV, that's that's literally what he. And the thing, the insidious thing is about is like when he admits and gives the conceit that he's literally just talking about like all him and his friends just being able to keep their own yeah. shit, right? He makes it sound as if like it's this American ideal and this way of life that should be protected and that the poor communists and the Marxists, it's not that just that they're violent, but they just don't understand and they're misguided almost, you know? It's very paternal, his tone. Right. So, um, you know, to go on with the quote, it says, yeah, and what you were just saying, Aaron, but what now concerns us is quite new in the history of America. We're not dealing with episodic or isolated attacks from a relatively few extremists or even from the minority socialist cadre. <laughs> it's amazing he uses this language too. Yeah. Like he really, un- he says, rather the assault on the enterprise system is broadly based and consistently pursued. It is gaining momentum and converts. The sources are varied and diffused. They include, not unexpectedly, the communists, new leftists, and other revolutionaries who would destroy the entire system, both political and economic. It's like, okay, well, Hell yeah. he's just, I mean, but he, he then goes on to say, it's like, you know, this yes, is like- He's talking about us, He's literally guys. talking about us Aww. from the past. I feel, I feel honored. My ears are burning. And uh, th- <laughs> there is a real throw line in terms of like, you know, that like the Powell talking about just to then move forward with like, you know, Nixon, 
And, you know, uh, to, the ju- to be clear, we're not saying that Powell invented this. No, mm-hmm. anti-communism is pervaded throughout the history of the United States, 20th century mm-hmm. onwards. But what, what's, what's interesting is like a lot of the talking points in this document is really just, all right, we have found the blueprint, the original blueprint of all the right-wing talking points until today. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they're saying the problem, like the core of the issue, they say, are the radical anti-capitalist left, the communists, the anarchists, the Marxists, the uh, leftists, those who have an, social, even left-wing social democrats, the ones that have an issue with the existing form of society. But he says, these are mainly the core, my, very small group of people, he says. Um, and that was true then, and that is true now. But he says, the, the real issue is like, basically, doesn't say this, but basically calls them useful idiots, mm-hmm. are those in the media, yeah. those in the university campuses, those that are writers, and those that are you know, basically uh, publishers for for to publish the opinions, and if you notice, this is basically what the right has been saying for decades. Of like, no, the liberal media, the lying press, all so on and so on. You know, oh, and he says very plainly that the core, the the main battleground is university campuses and public schools. Absolutely, because that is the yeah. foundation. Oh, yeah. Like. Yeah. Go ahead, go, mm. He even gives a shout out to like the people that we would consider like milquetoast liberals, the yeah. ones who are like, I just want capitalism to work for everyone. Right. We just need to like fix it up a little bit and make it. He's like, even those people are bad and dangerous. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he, I, tor- I, think, I, I think he has a point oh. in the sense that like he, these people, like even people like that is like, well, because what they want is total buy-in. Yeah on the system yeah, yeah. he he has horror did you see that did y'all see that line too that um that really stuck out to me when um it's he's reading from a like a newspaper column or something like that and he says when asked why so many young people are turning to like left-wing radicalism right. um, it says he quote because they are taught that way and i thought that was like really really interesting right because again as you're saying Jorge, like the battleground is like the university so as he talks about what sort of defenses and offenses right um, that need to happen in order to like protect the american system I kept thinking about many of examples, but one especially of all these book bannings, right? Of all this um, right. banning of CRT. He specifically talks yeah, about the critical sub- race. Go ahead, Ray. What? Say again. No, just critical race. Yes, theory. yes. Literally, literally, he literally says he literally he's literally talking about critical race theory because after the civil rights movement, you had people that obviously black people and black advocacy groups that wanted history to be taught in a way that was like right unbiased, right? That was true. Right. And now you have bills that are being like promoted by, I think, Ron DeSantis. Right. That say that you can't have any curriculum that is um, that is um, harsh and unfair, uh, uh, I guess, poses an unharsh light or harsh light on the American system Mm -hmm. that talks about slavery or racism, the 1619 project. So, again, this was very prophetic. You know, it really is the original blueprint, as you were saying, Jorge. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not so much. I mean, it's. It's a 50-year plan yeah. is what it yeah. is. It's like, that because because part of what they're saying, it's like also a call to arms to business executives saying, yes. you know, before being a business executive, all you could do, all your only responsibility was to your shareholders mm-hmm. or to like make maximizing revenue. He says, this is not sufficient. You must be a ideologue for capitalism and you must destroy the opposition that are trying Absolutely. to undermine, he- which is like, I mean, he's literally yeah. arguing for, 
y'all need to raise your class consciousness <laughs> or this system will fall apart. And I mean, like, I mean, I'm not even joking. He literally like, does. He literally, literally does say that, Hori, because at one point, too, he says that it's not that he's blaming, right, the end of the these business enterprise, the business community for not, like, kind of having this class consciousness because they do so many other things well, right? But the fact that, like, what they're not doing is attacking back. He think he talks about like an article that's written is like, why doesn't GM hit back, you know? And he's like, they have no interest, right. right, to do it. And he says, the left, right, they're organized, right? They're identifying their attackers. Yep. You need a response. And like, I didn't really think about it like that, man. It really is like this raising and this call to class consciousness for the business community because mm -hmm. I guess we think that like, or sometimes I think that like, you know, they're, it's almost like amorphous and they're almost like, I don't know. They're almost like the Borg from Star Trek, right? Where they're all tapped into this mainframe and all know like what to do, right? Which is like just like a metaphor, but nah, man, they literally like have to work this shit out, you know? They have to plan this right. shit well, out. Some, some of, of them, them some of them are more on board than others. And I think sometimes we can take advantage of the fact that capital is sort of um fragmented and contradictory its interests i mean the thing that this made me think about was an editorial i do not remember who wrote it if it was like a famous capitalist or just some fucking uh op-ed ghoul but they were basically like all these woke corporations are pandering they're playing with fire like they only care about making money so they're pandering to like this general, this majority desire for wokeness or whatever. Um, but they need to get serious and recognize and be ideologically committed to capitalism because they're going to sow the seeds of their own destruction if they right. like, you know, make a commercial with black people <laughs> yeah, in it or yeah, whatever. Yeah. No, no, but I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that because in the Powell memorandum as well, like another place, these while he is not a Marxist, he definitely thinks like one in a sense of like he uses dialectics all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. There's another quote here, which, you know, here is the core of why are we talking about mm -hmm. this? How it relates to student debt? Yeah, yeah I like which, this one. Which is like, quote, one of the bewildering paradox of our time is the extent to which the enterprise system tolerates, if not participates in its own destruction. He's saying <gasps> that, like, like he's saying that capitalism is like by its very nature like unless corrected allows for its own demise you and don't exactly. say exactly so, but here here it aims it very clear in terms of his issue regarding the college campus he says the campus from which much of the criticism are emanates are supported by one tax funds generally lar generated largely from american business and two contributions from capital funds controlled or generated by American business. Now, this doesn't seem that like, okay, well, whatever. I mean, he's complaining about taxes, but here's the thing about this. This is at the core as to why people care so much about, about public education, why they have an issue with uh, free education, because education, pub like public education being a right and being free allows for people to learn and educate and understand and think about for themselves, well, wait a minute, like, what the hell is all of this? Now, we're not liberals here. We're not here to say, oh, everyone just gets educated, then they're just all going to become like Marxist revolutionaries. That's not mm -hmm. what we're saying. But we're, or they'll become like every single person will be rich if every person gets a good exactly, education, exactly. right? which is now, what a lot of liberals mm -hmm. believe. Now, I do agree. I do think, and I think 
all of, all of us on this podcast think that you know education is good on in its own on in its in its Speak own for right. Yourself, you know, Jorge. obviously. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But me. But no, it, fuck, education. fuck education. I dropped but, out. Fuck three books. times. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but 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 in, in a sense of like it enriches your mm-hmm. life, and otherwise we wouldn't be doing this project Absolutely. that we're doing. Yeah. But but really, what what at play here is the fact that. What certainly makes it a lot easier for people to become interested in terms of a uh, like understanding. Well, they would have the toolkit to understand that they're getting a raw deal, and they're more likely to be open to the fact that oh, actually, you know, you're right. This 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 isn't a good arrangement for society. So so, but but it's at the core of that. But then also, if it's public, it's not. Again, government is not. The U.S. government and also the liberal democratic system is not, say, some shining beacon of independent from, mm. say, we don't believe that, independent from, say, capitalism. We fundamentally still agree as the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. But the fact of the matter is this. If it's public, it's more likely to have, say, from, pe- from, the, from, the, uh, from ordinary people than it is if it were private education. Absolutely. And if it's private education, it's not free. It's not or less likely to be free. You'll have to pay. And if most people can't afford to pay, so guess what? They'd have to get debt, get into debt to pay for it. Yeah. You know what you just made me think about? And they tell you from a very young age that that's what you're supposed mm. to do. Right. So all the people who are like, yeah, well, sorry, you should have known when you were 17 yeah. that that was actually a bad idea. Like, yeah, fuck yeah. off. What options do you... I mean, so what we're seeing now is actually like, you know, decades and decades of defunding educational systems, not just in public schools, but then just also colleges, Berkeley and the rest of the California system was free. CUNY, the City University of New York, was also free. They became tuition. They had, you had to pay tuition. Not before, you did not. You know what you made me think about too, Jorge? I mean, here, he also, Powell also in the memor- memorandum talks about you need like these boards of trustees and you need to have the business influence, right, in these public schools, right, right these, uh, these public colleges. And it's sort of like, it was sort of like the privatization, the slow sort of quasi-privatization yeah. of like the public school system, you know, like by mm-hmm. influence. And it happened so slowly with like kind of um, requiring certain classes be taught. You know, requiring that there needed to be a certain amount of advisors that were from the business community had the best interests of the American system at heart. And I mean, that became so, like so seeped in that people didn't even, it happened so slowly. I don't think people realize it, right? So, so let me give you an mm. example of as to how like it's in your face that like, well, one, you're right, Aaron, like part of the goal was like, your public schools are just, you know, becoming this weird fusion like of charter schools or a public private partnership or whatever. Right. Right, where they have more influence. That's why they push charter schools mm. so much because they would they want influence. Is the primary goal, apart from everything, is ideology. They want their ruling class ideology to be imposed on everybody, so that no one can question the system. But also, let me give you an mm. example as to like something that if you're if you go if you went to school public school in America, almost every person past if you if you, if you were in a public school system in the past you know, 20, 30 years, you had this experience. Do you remember that you had to kind of sell like chocolates or something like that? And it, it, everyone everyone in these schools kind of sold, sold like these chocolates to kind of like, oh yeah, to like 
like, oh yeah, because you, you everyone just needs to do it. You know what that sure. is? That's instilling the idea of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, re- I remember. I remember having to sell. Yeah, dude, that's crazy because it was like, dog. If it was like a sports team, why the fuck they gotta sell candy for their co- for their right. uniforms? And it's a public school. They should be the school should be paid for the goddamn. Oh, the kids should have to pay for the uniforms. They should just get it for free. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right, but but it's but like them a doing shifting that. of responsibility onto the public. In this case, the children, and yep. also it's indoctrinating them from yep. a very young age to be Absolutely. entrepreneurs. Yeah, and if they did well, it's like I oh, always stole the that fucking money, so much man. money. I always stole that shit, man. I never gave that <laughs> shit to them. Man. Based, but it's like, but it, if, if they raise so much money, it'll be like people talk about it in the newspaper being like, Listen, look at these kids, these self starters at this universe, at this high school of like kids that really cared about getting ahead. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's what that is. It's not just, it's like shifting responsibility, like Jamie said, but also it's like instilling with you the ruling class ideology that, in fact, no, the people who get ahead are the ones who. Run businesses. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it, I'm, it's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, no, it's that, true. It's those true. are the people who get ahead in it's, this world. It's just like it's not a good thing. I don't right. think. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it. But it's also like fundamentally, it's like it intentionally makes worker against worker. Right. It's like kids are against 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 kid rather than no kids should not be in competition. It should be collaborating to be together. Yeah. 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 Jorge, can I can I just mention and uh, just want to clarify something that you said because it was so important. You're talking about um, specifically uh, making public schools like not free anymore, you know, because um, once you have that barrier to entry, you know, through like payment or incurring debt, you know, um, you don't want to hide. I want to just read the quote that it was from a Twitter, uh, t- from a tweet, and um, it's a quote from Roger Freeman um, in 1970. Who was the key educational advisor to Nixon, um, then working for the re-election of Cal- California Governor Ronald Reagan? Um, and I'm reading from quote here. Um, he spelled out quite precisely what the conservative counterattack was aimed at preventing. Quote: We are in danger of producing an educated proletariat. That's dynamite. We have to be selective on who we allow to go through higher education. If not, we will have a large number of highly trained and unemployed people. Uh, the two most menacing institutional sources of the danger described by Freeman were obviously those two great public university systems charging no tuition, the University of California and the City University of New York, as you had said, uh, Jorge. And Governor Reagan was able to wipe out free tuition at the University of California. Interesting. Interesting. In yeah, that, and eventually that, they did it at CUNY. Yeah. As well. Although they did bring it back. They did bring it back um, under the urging of uh, one Bernard Sanders, I might add. Uh, Cuomo did. Probably also to save his ass. Same thing you did with Tweed. Um, in New York. Well, yeah. In New York. Like a couple, actually a couple years ago. It's been like two years now, I think, right? Well, it's it's very small. Like it's a scholarship situation. Not oh, just God damn, team, bro. Like they did it. They always, yo, dude, they, they always slip the rug out from underneath you. You think you're, you think you're no, standing on it, solid ground? They're like, gotcha. Yeah, no, because, I was like, that doesn't sound right. There's no, no way that they actually did that without any caveats. No, because but, because back in the day, free CUNY was like, you just you show just up. showed up. Like it was a public school, dog. Like you would show up to well, kindergarten. You know, what? you know, I think I would like to learn today. Let me go to free CUNY and see what they have. To we about to help me. you guys but, uh, out if you live in the tri-state area and you want to go to a CUNY school, but you don't have any free money, CUNY for the out. record. Free CUNY for the record is a priority campaign by the New York City DSA chapter. There we go. So that's right. So, but what do you guys make of this mm. quote? Because, like, sorry, I no. cut you off. What were no. you gonna say? 
Mm. All right. So like where he says we're in danger of producing an educated proletariat, um, obviously on one level, it's what we've been talking about, right? People get educated. They might be more likely to become aware of their class position, to become, I don't know, a class for itself. Although, you know, not necessarily, you know, some people are just going to use their education to try to like make money. And that's, you know, understandable too. But then he also says the reason why it's bad is that we are going to have a whole bunch of highly trained people who are unemployed. And I think the implication there is, and I like, we're seeing it happen right now. Like he basically predicted the fucking, uh, the, the DSA left the Bernie campaign, right. you know, like the millennial socialist movement, because who is doing most of this also stuff? The uprising. It's fucking overeducated, yeah. underemployed yeah. people who are like, their expectations have been raised. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been told their whole entire lives. Oh, you just got to go to college, take on the debt, go to college and you'll have a great life. And they're like, Oh yeah, I do deserve a great life. And then it doesn't happen. And they're like, Wait, about that great life. Yeah, though. yeah, exactly, exactly, I mean, exactly. But also, also he, he's like explicitly, Roger Freeman explicitly describing the concept of a surplus population, right? Mm-hmm. It's like saying all the people, like historically for centuries, surplus population has just been those who can't get jobs, right? And it's like typically you make them into criminals. The problem with that, if they're all highly educated, like, well, they're probably more likely to, you know, read the laws and follow the laws because they, understand what the laws are but also more Some of us. <laughs> but but the important part is that they understand enough because because of their education to not get caught mm-hmm. right and and i think that's like an important thing it's like well now you have all the people who like you can't criminal criminalize just being around because you have to find it you can't just criminalize just not yeah, doing I'm scamming anything. people online in some roundabout way you don't even know about but you know what's right. thinking too is like during the uprising <laughs> two during the uprising two years ago again like a lot of those people that were out in the streets, man, were people that just couldn't work, right? Right. right. Like, I know that right. I was going to shit, like, on protests on weekends when I was working in the kitchen, where if you work in the kitchen, you never get off on the fucking weekends, you know? And I'm able right. to go and shit and see more people than I usually would see at a protest like this, action like that, because people weren't going, get, going to work and they were getting money for it. But these also were people that were mm-hmm. educated, right? Idle hands. Idle hands, man. Yeah, but the other thing, too, I wanted to mention is just, it's, it's really just to kind of hammer the point, which is which you which you brought up, Aaron. It's just like there's just you just like you know. And also, what you mentioned, Jamie, it's like you're you're just like, well, it's like you're, there's you what was a big problem, and why I think is an element as to why they really really didn't want to give people unemployment the way that they mm-hmm. did, and to people to stay home, especially with like modern technology, with like social media, is like people just sat down and were at home. And they had to do something that many of them probably didn't have the chance to do for a while, which is have an extended period of time. <laughs> yeah. And just think, just like start thinking like, wait, how did, wait, what the fuck? Like, why am I like spending my time for like this, for someone else? Just like laid me off. Mm-hmm. But it also was like, wait, like, do I want to go back? Yeah. Given that there's this thing that could kill me. Yeah. I never, I don't want to go back to work. Yeah. Fuck that. No, Exactly. Exactly. Ugh, same. Yeah, same. No, for real. Same, same, same. <laughs> same I would agree same. with Jorge, but also I said that for myself and you, Jamie. This but unironically. This but unhypothetically. Oh, shit. So if you start thinking like, you know, there's a, you start having time to just think about like, wait, we're getting fucked over. 
is like not what they want. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. One one more thing regarding the uh so Governor Reagan was the reason why that the California system of, of colleges became to it cost became, you know, cost money, got rid of tuition free situation. The reason why CUNY now you have to pay to go wasn't just because like so here's kind of like the two like sides of what happened in the 70s. You know, on the one hand, you had this kind of emerging right, this project of kind of like, no, we need to kind of push back against the left. We need to crack down on a rising proletariat, a revolutionary proletariat, but also is the rise of neoliberalism as an economic system and, and also a movement. You know, there's a movement and then an economic system. The movement was Reagan and all the people like that. But the economic system was the fin- basically financialization of everything. Yeah. And it happened in New York City because New York City had a, fi- a finan- financial crisis in terms of like, as Aaron uh, told me once before, it's like it went bankrupt. The yeah. the city of New York went bankrupt, so it became indebted to these, these companies and these banks bailed out New York, but now it's been in debt ever since. But an aspect of that is like, well, got you got to raise money. Got got to run your city like more like a business. Exactly. You know, you got you got you got to go to what, the banker's coup, right? Isn't that what we call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like it, uh, it was like, like the gov- the federal government refused to bail out the city of New York. That right. famous uh, headline: Ford to city drop dead, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I mean, New York in the seventies was as in the early seventies was as close to social democracy as we've ever come in right. this fucking country. And guess what? It still wasn't enough that people had the right ideas and voted for the right people with the right ideas because guess what? Capitalism is prone to crisis and those bankers were lying in wait for their chance to do exactly that. And then they gained the upper hand and were able to force all sorts of restructuring, all sorts of neoliberal reforms on what used to be a fairly left-leaning government. Mm, Like Jorge? Yep. what no, I was saying? saying, like what you were about to say, like Jamie was saying, I was, I was giving you the alley-oop, like uh, charging tuition at the city of University of New York. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, One no. of the restructuring no, no, exactly, that, you know, yeah. was forced upon. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's just like uh, the way that, uh, you know, the IMF, right, you know, works in other countries. I mean, this is, this is what the bankers were doing to the city of New York, right? This is what you have to do if you want us to help you out, you know? Happening within right. fucking city, man. So let's put a pin yes, in this, yes, yes. okay? Because I am very interested in trying to come up with some overarching theory for uh, the overdetermined part portion of this. Like, what's changed from then to now that capital is trying? Okay, maybe we need a new strategy. Um, maybe we need to do you know some kind of measured social investment in order to jumpstart the economy again. You know, without like without taking it too far in that direction, right? Because the managers of capitalism are all about like just balancing the class forces to keep the hierarchy in mm-hmm. place and to keep accumulation chugging along. You know, in a nice orderly fashion. So we have this one shift that might be happening, maybe. And then we have, I mean, I guess it's not really a shift so much as a continuation and intensification. But, uh, you know, we were all like, yay, Brandon, we like you for a second. What's going on? And then, you know, he did his little law and order Mm -hmm. speech. 
the next day where he's like, you know, I guess they like fixed his drug cocktail and he's normal again yeah, now because he's, he's like, you know, the answer, the answer isn't to defund the police. The answer is to fund mm-hmm. the police. Like nice, nice yeah, one, back man. To crime Bill nice Brandon. One, Brandon. And what? he like, he's back to crime Bill Brandon, but it's crazy because he's like appropriating the yeah. language of the defund movement. Yeah. Like what? He's using he's an abolitionist like, talking point in favor of the He's like, cops are expected to do all this stuff that's not their job. Like they're expected to be psychologists and, social and workers. like, yeah. And therefore we need to give them more money instead of like defunding <laughs> right. them and putting that money towards people who actually do those jobs you know yeah. honestly i'm here for it because the more he talks about that the more people are like oh yeah 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 that that is the reality like you're you're describing what's the reality and then it just takes one step it's like well is that good but i think i think the, the danger though you're absolutely right Hoy, but i think the danger is that like because the default mode in this country is that police are good. I mean, even with, again, the uprising that we spoke about a little bit, I think that's still, that's just like the overwhelming, I think, I don't know, we could look at polls, but it doesn't mean, just because people want to defund the police, and I don't think that's the majority of Americans, doesn't mean that they don't still believe that police should exist, right? So if Biden, all of Biden says, like, oh, like, they, they're, they, they're thought of to be a social worker psychologist, and I mean, like, I don't know, I think a rational person would be like, well, maybe we should put like psychologists and social workers in those positions i think because of the elevated status of the police in americans minds they're like oh no we should give them the more resources so they could do those jobs right on top of what we already make them do instead of thinking like no man maybe we don't we need to like divest from law enforcement altogether in terms of community protection or any of that you know so it's a very like sleight of hand thing that he's doing man because he's like speaking to people who probably like think that the police should be defunded right but then they hear like, you know, Uncle Joe talking. They're like, well, yeah, maybe we could also like, maybe instead of defunding them, you know, you help them out more, you know. I think the crowd he was speaking to were somehow like affiliated with yeah, the police. Yeah, there was a, there was, yeah, was a police he keeps, union association or something, right? He keeps addressing them as yeah. you. But yeah, like he's also addressing, he knows this is going to be broadcast mm-hmm. to a wider mm-hmm. audience. And he's he's trying to like... He's he's trying to do a weird dance where he sort of like sounds like because, you know, the like the the ideologically coherent demands of the defund movement have sort of been uh, scrambled through like the media wokeness mm-hmm. machine. Now I sound like a fucking uh, Republican, <laughs> but you we've all we've all seen the rad libs in our in our lives, in our feeds who like one second they're like. Uh, defund the police abolition now and the next second they're like yay we love the fbi (laughs) like we've talked about this before Mm -hmm. but um i actually saw an encouraging poll for once like i feel like it's really we all get a little defeatist about um just like thinking that our our ideas are unpopular Mm. and nobody likes us because that's just like what it's been throughout most of history (laughs) but um I just saw a poll because you know how Eric Adams and his ilk love to say, oh, well, even black people don't want to defund the police. They actually want more cops because they're concerned about public safety. Yeah, this was the same. This was the same thing that was used by like, you know, uh, uh, advocates of the crime bill. Right. They were saying, well, the black community wants this, too, you know. Well, some polls say that they do, but I just found one today that says the opposite, 
from the Pew, the Pew, 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 <laughs> Pew Research Center saying nearly nine in 10 black adults say that policing, 87%, the courts and judicial process, 86%, and the prison system, 86%, require major changes or need to be completely rebuilt for black people to be treated dude, fairly. Dude, that's, that, I just want to say that's... That o- makes sense dude, to me. Dude, that's always been a thing. Like, the misconception is that you had, like, you know, leaders in the black community in the 90s asking for there to be, like, a, you know a war on crime. No, what they were asking for was like resources and infrastructure and investment in communities. They weren't just asking for more fucking cops, right? They were asking for a lot of things. And I think some of it did have to do with like, they thought that maybe the police could be doing a better Mm -hmm. job at their jobs, but that wasn't the only thing that they were asking for. And, you know, they also didn't know at the time how that was going to manifest and just how destructive Mm -hmm. it was going to be. But um, where am I going with this? So I'm like, okay, obviously you could see it as like a Dr. Brandon and Mr. Biden situation (laughs) where he's just like, sometimes he's good and sometimes he's bad. But I'm, I'm wondering if there is some sort of like some sort of larger, uh, larger, analysis we can piece together like we all know that neoliberalism is on fire right we all know the old world is dying a new world struggles to be born um so there there's a shift happening right as global capitalism struggles to uh you know correct itself right the ship and keep on going and i'm wondering if maybe we are entering a phase where the managers of capitalism are going to attempt to combine, you know, some kind of increased social spending and government intervention in the economy with sort of a more authoritarian, uh, authoritarian state and state control over the people, over the workers, especially. What do you guys think? So in terms of why... People like administrations, whether Democrat or Republican, keep funding the police and Biden, especially now. Part of it has to do with ideology, of course. But I have here I'll have like I have a historical materialist ish take as to give why, it to me. As to which is kind of like this two pronged kind of reason. On the one hand, which is kind of obvious for people to conclude is, well, if people are becoming more and more like unhappy with capitalism or just like at least, at the very least, like the conditions that they're living under capitalism, maybe not capitalism writ large, right? Most people probably, in terms of, and this is kind of shown in the polling, that they don't think that the country is going in a good direction. Um, and also in terms of their daily lives. You need more police because you need to kind of uh, manage the order, chaos, right? Um, keep the masses at bay. That seems obvious. But here's another thing that's also, which I think as well drives the military aspect, why funding needs to keep going higher for military. It's because the ruling class has put themselves in a, in a real bind. These people have all the guns. Are you going to tell them, I'm not going to give you more money? 
it's it's a ransom by like it's quite literally a ransom in a sense of like well we kind of have all the guns mm. and and we know but more especially we know how to use them mm. like yes the state has the monopoly on violence but what if the people who are the ones that do that have more power than the state or are becoming aware of that well but we know too that there are class stratifications within the military right right the like, military not the police mm. Right. Right. Because the the police, I would say, they weed out normal people right. in a way that the military does mm-hmm. not. Right. Because, and it, and you know, policing is a career. The military is like, all right, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to do my fucking time and then I'm going to get the mm-hmm. fuck out. No. And there's also like a, an upper limit in the military. You if you want to be part of the top brass, you have to go to, to university. And in many ways, like the, the real top brass, like the, the generals and the admirals. You have most a lot of them went to graduate school. Like uh, plenty of them, like have had PH, have PhDs. So it's like they the people are like really like the the mainstream of mainstream of the ruling class. Like this is the they are the epitome of the mainstream and the, ma- the ruling class is the top brass in terms of like they're real centrists. They go to like Ivy League universities. They typically go to get PhDs. Like they they write in foreign affairs. They write for the New York Times. Like they're the the Wall Street Journal, like these are like the real mainstream of the ruling class. But the thing is, the police are not really because like you no, know, like you said, they weed out certain people. They don't want people who are too smart. They don't want um for. But also, it's like uh in terms of like their politics, typically they're far more right wing than military, mm-hmm. as, which is which is yeah. which is interesting because like the U.S. the United States as a project has successfully constructed a military that is bought in to liberal liberal democracy like we saw that with january 6th like trump asked mm-hmm. the, the generals i want you to do this for me and they're like no we're not going to do that because we have a obligation to the constitution which is like what mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. wait you believe in this shit the 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 underlings though i feel like right. we could be building to a time when the troops refuse to fire on the people, on the protesters, on the proletarians. Uh, not talking about a right-wing uprising, uh, of course. I'm talking about a left-wing uprising. And you can say that's, you know, that's crazy. But, like, look at how pissed off all of those troops were in that video at the people who coerced them into joining the army. It's happened before in history. We just talked about it in the Paris Commune. Right. Uh, it's happened very recently, in fact, um, I was just reading an article about the uprising in Sri Lanka, uh, partly as uh, doing research for this like fun little riff on pools that I'm going to try to attempt in a minute. But um, how did the people get into the presidential palace? The troops stood aside mm. and they let them in. So I think in any revolutionary scenario, uh, where you're trying to overthrow the state, the army is going to play an important role, uh, for better or for worse. Yeah. And we would be foolish to uh, to ignore them. You know, and what's fascinating about the U.S. military, and to be clear, there is a real nuance here, because on the one hand, the rank and file of the military are the ones that are the ones doing the imperialism in terms of executing it. They're the ones that are out there actually in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Somalia, uh, doing these like special operations, what have you, or or just flat out invasions. But 
on the on the flip side, there is also this kind of weird kind of duality that if you you know off the cuff, what do you think is the demographics of the of the military of how it rep- like what do you think it is? Mm, I don't know. It's poor. Its demographic is almost exactly the same as the U- U.S. population. Mm. Yeah, but, like but, you've but, got but, the in ter- in you know of, the elites of race, who are of, in charge. Right, but in terms of race, else. for like, it's almost exactly like it's it's actually remarkable because like you would think that it would skew toward people of color because of like the way that poverty typically mm. skews, but it's not. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, like they, why do you think that is? I think it has to do with like the uh, ideology. Like the, you know, everything you watch in like sports, uh, movies, like there's advertising about the military everywhere. It's all pervasive, and it it's like this background noise of American culture of the military. And so it's not like there is there is there is a military class that is real that the highest like the biggest indicator that somebody will join the military is if someone in their family or one of their parents was in the military and but what's interesting is the fact that even when you account for that it still is like matches up pretty closely to the the population of the United States which is what, what I'm trying to say here is basically like they they have constructed like an actual mosaic of like what America is and of the people who are in the army but that is not the case with the police, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and uh, it matches up with like if you ask you know who are the number one people who like donate the most like the number one candidate donated the most in the people who are rank and file in the military the enlisted it was Bernie Sanders in the twenty twenty election. Hell yeah, mm. I mean he was also on the Veterans Affairs Committee, so that's probably a part of it. Wait, can I? Yeah, but, but can I jump in? Real? I've been trying it. to jump in for a minute, man. I'm listening to y'all go back and forth. I just want to say, like, you, Jamie, I want to go back to the original question because you were talking about, like, what kind of, like, analysis and, um, and we were talking about... Yeah, like, yeah, what the fuck is yeah, happening? Yeah, and, uh, you were talking in the chat, too, about, like, this, you just mentioned this government intervention and, um, I don't know, like, or this kind of redistributive government intervention and I don't know, like, I guess kind of saw that means tested, of course, with the student uh, loan forgiveness, but um, I'm a little bit suspicious on that about that because I know that at, in the U.S. and I think France is another example. In France and the U.K., I think like the conservatives and liberals are like are basically like they've gone like winter is coming, you know, Game of Thrones. You know what I'm saying? Instead of like saying that, hey, this is what we're going to do. They're even Biden has said that when it was coming, when it was about inflation, you know, or gas prices, that the American people can withstand this, you know. So it seems to be like, you know, redistributive politics policies just enough to like for the self this overdetermination as we were talking about with the economy, right? Right. To make sure that you know money's circulating, but also so that people don't get too like uppity, I guess, you know, and people are pacified yeah. a little yeah. bit. Um, but the police are there so that like, I mean, this is why like in Atlanta, you know, cop city again is something I've mentioned before. Um, it is a mock city that is essentially like a playground training grounds for the cops to prepare for like urban warfare, you know, when, I mean, we saw this again two years ago. So it's like, on the one hand, like there is that like soft hand that's like feeding you, you know, but then they're like, they got a fist behind their back, like kind of like, you know what I mean? Like ready to hit you. Yeah. So Well, I think, the example that was in the back of my mind 
when I was thinking about this. You know, what country within global capitalism is doing pretty well right now? What country is on the rise and what kind of game are they playing? Where do we see heavy government intervention in the economy? And where do we see, you know, a rather, shall we say, robust police state? It's China, folks. China. China. And... I've been saying all along, you know, I'm kind of worried the U.S. is going to learn all the wrong lessons mm-hmm. from China and its success in the world economy and just do like a worse version of it. And I feel like that might be happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That might be what I'm pointing mm-hmm. to here. I don't know. I think there there is something there. I think there is something there because um, on the one hand, like the reason why the PRC does that is because it's operating in the context of like, you know, Michael Parenti uses this in the context of the USSR of siege socialism, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. of like, and you know, PRC is like has lost some of its like gains in terms of like socialist welfare that it had in the pre-Dang period. But you know, there's reasons for that. It's a complicated, but it's a very complicated um, history. But the fact of the matter is like it, um, you know, part of it's like move because now it's like even more like the. the because with the fall of the Soviet Union, the entire global socialist like ecosystem kind of just fell apart in terms of like, uh, and so it needs to, it needs to find a way to like survive, mm-hmm. otherwise have the same fate as the Soviet Union. But and you know, to your point, Jamie, and I think there's it it must be said like there is like a very robust surveillance state in in China, and now one could go back and forth and say, well, maybe good, maybe bad. That's regardless. That is the reality, right? And and you know, people talk about it all the time in terms of like you know, people. Uh, I feel like kind of spoke about it, but not really truly understood, or at least gave gave enough like uh, gave the nuance that deserve when people talk about the social credit system, or and also now with like the COVID with the COVID policies with respect to like if you have your card, it will contract it can track where you are going throughout the system and can notify you if you're sitting next to somebody that tested positive later for COVID. But the thing is like the surveillance system, nonetheless, the problem with like, and we were talking about this before, before this episode the problem, you called this like the, the, the problem, maybe like the better version, the good version of like this kind of system, because at the very, because, you know, when I said this at the very least in this deal, you have a government that works, that replaces infrastructure to build infrastructure. And regardless of what, what your opinion is in terms of like, the the CPC in terms of its relationship to building socialism, it cares somewhat about its populace. It cares like in a sense that it listens to its populace because it wants them to, they want to remain in power. And that's like the most cynical opinion you can have about that. But they do do that in some regard. And it's also trying to maintain the workforce, keep them healthy and all that. Right. But you know, but I mean, they clearly like like what we're saying, I think they clearly like, Give, I mean, COVID response is a perfect example. I mean, yeah, maintain the right. workforce, but it's just like just caring about the fact that like people are alive and well, you know what I mean? You know, yes, for the function of like, yeah, you know. I don't, I mean, I'm too cynical to think that the Chinese government gives a shit about workers, just like I'm too I cynical mean, to it, think that the it US doesn't have government to be workers, though, but workers. just like the general populace, right? It might not be workers the way we conceptualize workers yeah. as Marxists, but it might be just people, which is a hell of a lot better than what the United States does, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm using that as a stand-in for, like, everyone who's not a capitalist, right? Because, you know, the unemployed are part of the working Mm -hmm. class as well. But, um, 
I feel like we've got some good ideas kicking around. Unless you have more grand unified theories, I want to move to our final topic of mm. the day. Mm. What do you guys think about yeah, that? Sure. What do you guys think about that? It's so, it's nice to be doing a news episode yeah. with you guys again. Right. I feel like we need to do these we more. Need to do like every two weeks, at people least, yeah. people like people it. Like- Let us know. What you think if you want us yeah. to do more of this. Mm. So I want to talk about the hot new trend for summer. Uh, as you guys know, it's too hot out. It's been that way for a while now. And, you know, if things keep progressing as they have been, it's going to stay that way. It's too darn hot. Um, and I think some people are responding to that in a really interesting way. I'm talking, Tell them, of course, about protesters storming the pools at the presidential Hell palace. Yeah. Now this, <laughs> this happened in Sri Lanka. It was pretty awesome. Pretty cool. Uh, it just happened in Iraq as well. So I retweeted this. Of course it came, it came across my transom on the Twitter account, populism mm. updates, which is kind of funny if you guys aren't following it. And then it was retweeted by ill will editions, which is very much Look, I love reading most of the stuff in Ill Will. I don't agree with all of it. Some of it I do. Uh, They've definitely got like a thing for riot porn Mm. a little bit. So they tweeted like, you know, some pictures of people storming the presidential pools in Iraq and Sri Lanka. And I just retweeted it. And I was like, you know, workers of the world Mm. unite. You've got nothing to lose but your sweatiness. (laughs) Maybe not my best tweet (laughs) ever, but you know, it gets the point across. I... I, f- I found it an evocative image. You know, they're literally like storming the palace pool and, you know, submerging themselves and having a really good time, which is something that I really, um, I really enjoy doing too. I'd say it's pretty high priority in my life to find bodies of water of, you know, varying temperatures, depending on the time of year in which to submerge myself and regulate my, um, my poorly regulated <laughs> body temperature. So that that was all I said, right? I don't know nearly as much about what's going on in Iraq as what's going on in Sri Lanka. Apparently, these uh, these protesters weren't necessarily uh, doing it for like uh, leftist reasons. But um, Twitter is wild. Like someone retweeted it. There, someone like quote tweeted it and called me a tanky in Arabic. Really? I thought and, uh, I thought I thought it was for <laughs> okay. So I thought it was for political reasons. Was it just like a mass thought, pool party? Oh, it's for. I think it's like they're mad because they're. Um, Muslim fundamentalist guy resigned okay, from the government. So political, but not like a so leftist. Okay, don't not 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 necessarily leftist mm. thing. So I did not mean it as a commentary. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> on the specific reasons behind these pool parties, I just found it to be a very fun and evocative image. You know, whenever the people are storming the palace pool, but um, you know, it made me think. Like, is two really a trend? I feel like three would really cement mm-hmm. that trend. And on an right. unrelated note, um, the White House does, in fact, have a swimming pool. You guys want to know some pool yes. facts? Sure. I'd love to know some pool facts. So, Jamie. yeah, um, I looked it up. It's not nearly as nice as the presidential palace swimming pools in either Sri Lanka or Iraq. It's like to call kinda- former President Donald Trump, the White House is a dump. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, it's kind of shitty compared to those pools. But, um, you know, when he's right, he's right. But anyway, 
the White House pool, uh, the one that they have now, there was an indoor pool too that got built for FDR because he needed to like swim in it and it was good for his, you know, broken body or whatever. But they uh they covered it over with some kind of like press holding area. I don't know. They should the probably just bring came. it back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was that was like a good reason. But then Gerald Ford was like, no, we need an outdoor pool. So he built this outdoor pool in 1975. Um, Barbara Bush frequently swam in the pool. Uh, apparently, this is according to Wikipedia. In 1990, a rat swam past her and was su- subsequently drowned by her husband, 41st President George H.W. So he waterboarded Bush. this rat, man. God damn. Head of the <laughs> CIA waterboarded <laughs> this rat. That makes a lot of sense. That tracks. That tracks. He waterboarded the rat. She said that she, quote, swam with a mask and it just went by... It just went right by in front of me. Fortunately, with George mask? Bush was there and drowned the beast. The beast. It it's was a horrible. rat. You're calling it. Yo, these people are terrible people. Not even just because <laughs> their politics or their impact, but just you're calling a rat a beast. Come on, man. Also, she swam with a mask. Wait. What? Oh, yeah. It does That's say that she swam with a mask. It did like a like a COVID mask. <laughs> does she mean does she mean like like an N95 or like a or like a scuba mask? Oh, maybe like, like two like scuba masks. Was she was she snorkeling <laughs> in the White House pool? The White House but it, I could totally see <laughs> her wasp ass saying, "Oh, goggles is a mask. That's too fucking wasp." Yeah, yeah, right. Yes, exactly. Like normal <laughs> people would call it goggles, thing? and she would call it. Yo, I bet you that's exactly what it is, Jorge. Uh, that's exactly what it is, yo. Some oh, wasp yeah. ass shit like that. It's like, oh yeah, we were we were in the pool the other the, the other day, and I was I was swimming yeah. with a mask yeah. on. Yeah, it's a vacuum, bro, not a Hoover. It's a vacuum. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's maybe, a trunk, not a boot. I'm just like, <laughs> go ahead, Jake. I think maybe I'm just like really comfortable with rats at this point, having lived in Bushwick for as long as I have. They like wait, don't JB, come on, son. All, all right, anymore. but those are rats in environments in which you expect them. If you were in a White House pool and a rat swam past you, you'd be freaked out. I'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, this okay. is this sounds okay. about right. I'm in a city full okay, of them. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Why would there not be one that's in the true. pool? You know, well, I mean, the real vermin are the rats in Congress, as we true. all know. The rats. But I think I it kind of now that I'm thinking about it more. It's like why why wouldn't this be like a small political thing? If like we found this rat, we're gonna find a nice home. Yeah. You know, it's like like play like this empathetic card as president. Mm-hmm. Be like, you know, we really care about. Animals. Make him like make him like a White House wait. pet. Like so, they would they, they, they oh, no, start no, a trend. No, 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 You'd no, have no, the official no, no. White no, House rodent. Everyone after that would have to have one. No, no, no. Hold Ratty, on, Ratty, the CIA informant. <laughs> that, there that, we yeah. go. That that that's not quite what I'm saying. I'm just saying like it's like a small political point. Mm-hmm. And the point I'm getting at is they didn't do that. This guy's a killer. First instinct. No, I'm gonna murder this rat. Yeah, the beast. <laughs> I mean, not even gra- not even grab it and like move it away. No, I'm gonna kill yeah. it. That's so bad. I'm gonna drown it. Like that's that. So fucking. Like that's that, so fucking. Like that's why people allegedly say he was in the CIA. Yeah, yeah. Mm, he had no, practice. He I mean, he had. What he, you're saying. he definitely had some instinct. Like it's like he didn't. He didn't hesitate. Like a bug is one thing, right? A rat. Like it's a mammal. Like that. It's like a that's beast like. Okay. It's like you you that's your first thing that you like, oh I'm gonna just kill it right now in this fucking pool. Mm. Yeah. I'm gonna drown it with my hands. 
Yeah, I mean, most people would at least, you know, be a little grossed out by the prospect of killing a mammal like, with their bare hands. Like it, like that's what I'm saying. It's like you have to think, in like in the mind of these people. It's like these people. I'm not gonna say yeah. anything. I mean, I it just it reminds me of just the Pete Buttigieg uh, um, killing dogs jokes. You know, I mean, I don't think Pete Buttigieg. I, I don't even think when he <laughs> served, you know, that he actually like saw any combat. But well, he just has this sociopath. Well, don't, don't don't say why that. Not, why not? Allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, we, he was <laughs> we, either we, we don't like know that. doing spreadsheets or he was like fucking some kind of black ops. Nah, well, we, we know we we know he was intelligent. He was in naval intelligence, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he was in, an intelligence unit of some kind. Yeah. It's just whether it was like just it just was that yeah. or was it something else, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah, but I mean he he has allegedly either way, he has the demeanor of one who uh could uh, uh quote drown a beast as like George H.W. Bush could. <laughs> you know what? Respect. His son could absolutely not ever do that. So <laughs> nah, his son will look look at it. I'm trying to do a I'm trying to do a George Bush voice. I can't do it. I don't even I was about to do an Obama one. <laughs> look at that rat. Nah, well, that's Obama. <laughs> well, well, you can do it in a second uh, because here's one more fact about the White uh, House poll. Oh in his first year of presidency, did you know? Barack Obama wrote that he would leave the Oval Office and, quote, have a cigarette or two by the cabana, quote, savoring a quieter moment and letting my thoughts wander and deepen. And this is taken from a Medium post written by Obama called Allegedly. How I Approach the Toughest Decisions. Just Michelle, just having a cigarette. written by Obama. Right out by the cubana. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about all the Iraqi children. <laughs> he's such a he's such an asshole. Like he's like, you know what? How I make the toughest decisions is I have some really deep <laughs> yeah. thoughts. Have some deep thoughts about some uh, ethereal <laughs> bisexuals. Those were the I don't good know days. who said this, but it's so true. It's so, <laughs> I, I don't know who said this, but it's so true. Like he really was the first influencer president. <laughs> he really was, right? Like he vibes, dude. It was vibes, hope and change, vibes. Like he wrote a like he wrote a, like he wrote a Substack a before post? it was Substack. Wait, would you would you would you say, yeah. Jorge? Like he wrote a Substack <laughs> before it was Substack. <laughs> he really did. I'm not looking forward to having to Yo. read the next two volumes of his autobiography. Oh my, wait, we're doing like, that. If oh, he yeah, was president, oh, we're, like, if he was president we now, we do that for, uh, for this show now because we did that for the anti we'll see. With, uh, with <laughs> we'll see if we actually. No, feel we have like JB. We have to. We have to. We have to bring back Q. We have to. We got to bring back Q. Uh, we got to do it. If if like if he was president now, yeah. you know his ass would be like um thread <laughs> watch this you know he would use a thread emoji and then he'd be like one yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one hide like slash <laughs> question mark yeah anyway oh, all i'm funny. saying that was bad is uh the white house has a pretty nice pool yeah. and uh it's a shame that only a small number of people ever get to use it at this moment in time and as somebody pointed out to me on twitter biden has lifeguard experience so, uh, that is Jamie, true. Jamie don't put that visual in my we, man. Uh, this, this, my mind is man <laughs> jumping into the pool and like dropping like a stone, like chill, man. 
Maybe, maybe it'll come in handy when, you know, when we pay him a visit and then we can like rub up and down on his weird yeah. leg hair or whatever his blonde, his blonde, was. He said he had blonde leg hair. Why would I want to think about that, man? God. <sighs> no, 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 no. The kids would come in and they would put their hands up and down the le- my leg hair looking and we see the hair coming out in the pool. Oh, Jorge. The pool, everybody. Jorge, that was pretty good, man. That was shit. That was really, I was not expecting that. That was pretty good. <laughs> He's clearly been working on his Biden. We should have a mock debate for the listeners. Uh, I'm going to be Obama and you're going to be Biden. It's going to be behind the paywall. <laughs> it's a big fucking deal. <laughs> They'll just be agreeing on things. Boy, we're going to get some blunts. Five dollar blunts. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I really like this trend. I think you trend. know, like with any. Like with any insurrectionary tactic, mm-hmm. you know, it's not necessarily going to be, um, you know, politically uh, coherent and targeted at first. But I think it is our responsibility, you know, especially me as a jacuzzi journalist to uh, intervene in these impromptu pool parties and push them to their radical limit. And I mean radical, both in terms of how awesome they're going to be and in terms of the politics. Mm. Is that so, your, yeah. what'd you call it? Your, your moniker is uh, Jamie the Jacuzzi Journalist? That's nice. You know, I hung up my swimsuit a long time ago, <laughs> but every once in a while, yeah, as if I ever wear a swimsuit when I go in a jacuzzi, but uh, every once in a while, I just have to, I have to get mm. called back in for one yeah, last Yeah, the job. helicopter comes overhead, the jacuzzi, while you're just like chilling outside. We need you for one more job, Jamie. Yeah, it's like, there is an unguarded jacuzzi <laughs> on, uh, in this part of Austin. You, here, here are the drugs. You know what you to know do. You know what to do. <laughs> nice. That was good. Nice. I fucking, I'm, you know, I mean, I, I could be a special ops, like SEAL team of some sort. The, the, the amount of practice I've had sneaking into jacuzzis. That's yeah. not... I've never been kicked. No, that's not true. I've been kicked out. But like of all the times I've done it, I've only been kicked out once. I think that's pretty good. I snuck in the pool the other, not the other night, but a couple weeks ago, I snuck in the pool and not a jacuzzi though, like a pool in Atlanta. It was, it was, it was thrilling. I mean, it's, it's too hot to go in a jacuzzi right now. Oh yeah, man. Chill. Do they make cold jacuzzis? Is that a thing? I, I mean, I think that's just like, (laughs) it's just a cool that's just a kiddie pool, yeah. yeah. Probably, yeah. But yeah. anyway, I like I like these images. I like these tactics. Let's keep it coming, oh, folks. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess uh, would we have Joe Biden as a lifeguard there? <laughs> would, 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 Dude, <laughs> that's how we'll know we've really pushed Joe Biden. Wait, to wait, the what'd left. you guys say? Wait. I said, when would we, Biden, would... when Biden is the lifeguard at our presidential pool yeah. party. That's how we'll know that we've, we've really him pushed left. him to the left. Uh, 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 Dark Brandon's back. You know, maybe it's overdetermined. Maybe it's the results of activism. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe he'll just decide. Maybe he'll just like forget that like we're not supposed to be in there. I don't know. The thing is, the important thing is, it's, it's happening. happening. It's happening. Would he, would he, would he, he would just be telling the Corn Pop story again? It's like, Joe, we've already heard this for the hundredth time, dog. And Corn Pop was a bad dude, and he ran a bunch of bad boys. <laughs> I did him back in those days to show how things have changed. I was the only one guy. Use. If you use pomade in your hair, you had to wear a baby cap. And- 
you know, you know the thing. <laughs> you love to see oh, it. Oh, you love to see it, folks. Oh shit. All right, should we get out of here? Well, let's do right, it. Sweet. Well, uh well, we didn't do a reading this time. What do we say in the news episodes? Because usually we say do the reading, but Oh. I mean, we don't have to have a uh, sign off every right. time, but uh I mean you you could still do the do reading, the reading anyway. if we have a news episode. Do the reading anyway. Fucking read some read books. the power Miranda. We, we read go. the power random. We should put uh, we should put it in the show notes and stuff. Like yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty really good. good. We'll include a link to it. We in the show notes. All right. Till next time. Bye. 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 Bye.